Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast for Wednesday, October 30th. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, joined by John DeShazer. We're also joined by a special guest today, former NFL player and current NFL Network analyst, Brian Baldinger. Brian, how you doing? Well, Caroline, I'm doing great. I mean, it's kind of the midpoint of the NFL season, so everybody's sort of checking out where they are, where they are. We're doing the same thing at the network right now, so it's a great time to be an NFL analyst and to join the Saints here. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you. And before we got on the phone, you said you're excited to talk about some Saints football. So, of course, the most obvious question is what has impressed you the most from the Saints uh, so far through the half of the season? I think just that they're a complete team and how they play as a team. You know, I mean, if Creshawn Hogan is out there on the field <laughs> in his first NFL game as a Saint, you know, he's making a key block for a big run by Latavius Murray. Um, you know, it's just all contributions from everybody. I mean, obviously, trying to replace Drew Brees with Teddy Bridgewater and you win five in a row or replacing, you know, Alvin Kamara, who's irreplaceable. I mean, it's just they just play as a team. And it doesn't matter if they have to go to Seattle or play the Cowboys or what the, what the opponent was. They kind of rallied and played together as a team, and that's what they look like to me. They look like the best team in football. I would have to agree with that. Uh, Brian, you often break down, obviously, Baldy breakdowns, but you talk about the Saints' offensive line a lot. And at the beginning of the season, I remember Sean Payton talking a little bit about offensive linemen and why they're so difficult to come by because you're only selecting from a specific pool. So why do you think offensive linemen right now are so difficult to come by, good offensive linemen? Well, I mean, Christina, I think that um, a big part is the offenses, by and large, in college football are so different than offenses at the NFL level. So even if you say you draft uh, Eric McCoy and you trade up to, to draft him and, you know, he comes out of an offense at Texas A&M that doesn't look anything like the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they don't play with tight ends and fullbacks and, you know, with the quarterback under center and running power. And so you're just projecting at almost every single position, whether the guy could be a good run blocker, um, you know, how is he going to do – uh, with a variety of blitzes that come at them. I mean, so when you evaluate these guys, you're just evaluating them in offenses that you can only project how they're going to play um, once they get to the NFL level. Most college linemen sit in a two-point stance, never put their hand in the ground, and and it's just different at the NFL. And so, you know, they got Warford in free agency and drafted Armstead, and, you know, they've they hit on Ryan Ramchek in the first round in a great draft, and so they kind of built this thing piece by piece over a period of time. Well, I know when we drafted Eric McCoy, I believe he joined um, one of – I think he – joined Teron Armstead along with Larry Warford at kind of like an offensive lineman workshop, I think in, in Dallas from uh, Duke mm-hmm. Miniweather. Yep. So I think he, he runs OL masterminds. And I think um, we saw earlier in the year, Cam Jordan kind of go to, I forget what player it was. Was it DeMarcus Ware who has his defensive lineman workshop? Do you think, do you think offensive lineman workshops would be more beneficial to have, especially from that transition from college to professional? Yeah, I mean, Lane Johnson has one in Dallas now, and I think, you know, somewhere around 40 linemen showed up. And it's a different game. And, you know, if you can get that type of workshop atmosphere where it's just sort of everybody participates and kind of the generals are guys that, you know, are Pro Bowl-level players and they can kind of help, you know, develop the mindset, you know, of young players, uh, show them a variety of techniques that can really be you put in a toolbox 
Um, of course, Dan Rousher does a great job with the Saints as the offensive line coach. Um, and they do a lot on offense. You know, they, they run a lot of different sets, a lot of formations. They change a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage. And so, I mean, you got to be able to think quickly uh, and adjust, you know, the assignments as the plays change. And so there's a lot there that a guy like Eric McCoy had to learn. But, you know, just watching him through the first, you know, eight weeks, it doesn't look like he struggled in any way. Uh, Brian, I, I want to circle back to, to Coach Payton for a second. You know, would you consider this – you've seen a lot of football. Would you consider this one of his better coaching jobs considering – I guess the adaptations he's had to make without a Drew Brees or without an Alvin Kamara, you know, kind of shifting to, to different ways to win games. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I just came out with my, um, you know, half the season predictions and, and awards and I gave Sean Payton the coach of the year for the things that you just said. I mean, to overcome when, when you replace Drew Brees, I mean, it's more than just a hall of fame quarterback. I mean, he, he runs the offense. He changes the plays. He runs. He, he's in charge of the run game and where the run goes. And if you're changing from run to pay, he does all of that. And, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is there for, you know, a year and a half. He learned a lot, but that's a lot to ask anybody to do. And the offense had to adjust a little bit. And I thought, you know, going up there to Seattle and playing in a rainstorm and, you know, replacing Drew that day against a really good team in a tough environment. I mean, that thing kind of got started. But I do think it's, it's John Payton's. I mean, look, we'll see how it all ends up. And obviously the year they won the Super Bowl, they led the league in takeaways. He did a great job that year. But, um, you know, through the first half of the season, I have to say this is, you know, probably the best job that Sean has ever done since that Super Bowl year. I think anyone in New Orleans would have to agree with you. Um, you've seen all of the teams in the NFL, obviously, and you've done a lot of breakdowns on each team. But right now at the halfway point of the season, who do you think is the Saints' biggest competition in the NFL? Well, I think you have to you know, start with the NFC because you've got to get out of the NFC mm -hmm. in order to get to a Super Bowl. So in the NFC right now, I mean, you've got the San Francisco 49ers at 7-0, and and they play on Thursday night against Arizona. Maybe they get to 8-0. And, and the Green Bay Packers are 7-1, and and the Minnesota Vikings are 6-2. And, uh, and the Dallas Cowboys lead the NFC East. Uh, of course, the Saints beat the Cowboys. So I would say that Minnesota, who's hot in 4 and you know, four wins in a row, they play Kansas City this week. Maybe that will be 5-0. and uh, And Green Bay in San Francisco, have to be the toughest challenges right now. And to say which one is the toughest, uh, it's hard to say. I, I, I mean, it's hard to say that the toughest isn't going to try to beat Aaron Rodgers right now right. with what he has performed so far. I mean, he's the MVP of this entire league at this point uh, with sitting at 7-1 and one and you know overcoming the loss of their number one receiver, Devontae Adams, and learning a new system and all that. I mean, I'd have to say – and no, this is no knock on San Francisco and what they've accomplished, but the Packers have played a better schedule, and they're led by, you know, probably the best quarterback in the league right now. So I'd say the Packers are the biggest challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron Rodgers is is playing fantastic, and, and so is Jimmy. I mean, he's he's doing a great job, especially after the disappointment of the injury last year. You know, 49ers mm -hmm. fans getting so excited and so hyped to have this quarterback, and then, of course, he gets injured. Uh, it was, was pretty devastating for them. Looking ahead – past this bye week on I know we're on a bye week this week but to the Falcons um you know you don't have to you don't have to bad talk the Falcons but I wouldn't be opposed to it um but what is going 
wrong for them so far this season, Brian. It just seems like they had so much optimism at the beginning of the season, and then year after year it seems like it's just a little bit disappointing. Well, I saw them last week against Seattle, and they were losing 24 to nothing in the first half, uh, despite Matt Schott playing pretty well. Who started for Matt Ryan for the first time? Matt Ryan missed a game for the first time in about a decade. But um, you know, the second half it was a completely different team, and they played really competitive football. And they looked like and they outplayed Seattle for the final 30 minutes. But you know, in the first half, they gave up two touchdown passes to DK Metcalf, and they broke down in coverage in both in both plays, and simply nobody covered them. And that's just happened way too often. Just their biggest problem is just mental breakdown. Uh, it's not a personnel issue. It's just assignment issue. And when they stop breaking down, they play good football. Mm-hmm. Um, they put up 32 points against uh, the Houston Texans, but Sean Watson threw five touchdown passes against them, and a lot of them were, you know, just assignment errors on the back end of their defense. And so, uh, you know, that's the biggest problem right now. Offensively, good luck trying to catch, you know, cover Julio Jones. I'm sure Marshawn Lattimore welcomes the challenge. Mm. Um, yeah, they've had fun the over Falcons. the past few years. Well, and they will because Julio is a total pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a route tree um, that's different than any of the wide receivers. And no offense to Michael Thomas, the best in the league right now, but Julio runs routes that most people don't know how to run. And so that's a, that's a challenge. And so they, they'll be rested themselves, you know, and uh, they'll have a, you know, they played the, the Saints tough over the years. Matt Ryan certainly knows what he's to expect from Dennis Allen in the defense. And so he'll be healthy. The ankle will be recovered. And I think it'll be a very competitive game, but you can't overlook the Falcons simply because they have a 1-7 record right now. Absolutely not. Uh, We got into the offensive line a little bit earlier in the show, but we have to talk about the Saints offensive line. Obviously, you mentioned that Dan Rochard's been doing a great job, but what makes the Saints offensive line so good? Because when you look at them, they don't necessarily have a a big vocal leader. You know, Max Unger was obviously a a lead-by-example guy when he retired in the offseason. That was kind of a shift in the leadership more towards Teron Armstead, Larry Warford. Is it the assignments is it the fundamentals that these guys have what is it that sticks out to you about the Saints offensive line I think it's the fundamentals Christine I I mean I really believe that fundamentally uh individually they're very very sound um you know you watch Ryan Ramchett he's playing as well as any right tackle in football right now Teron Armstead is one of the most athletic tackles in all of football uh he's in an elite company but they play they fundamentally individually they have a great toolbox in how they're coached and what they do. But then how they play together, whether it's combo blocks in the run game and, you know, how they double team to the second level, how they get to the next level, uh, there's really very little they can do that, that they can't do. I mean, they're great in the screen game. You saw that, uh, you know, in the last game. Uh, they're very good in the screen game. They're good in the perimeter game. If you're running toss crack and the tackle's got to pull and get outside on the force, uh, but just, you know, to watch Latavius Murray have back-to-back games like he has had as a starter, uh, I don't know that anybody could have predicted that. And that's not a knock on Latavius Murray, but the offensive line played some of the best football in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, do you think Latavius is kind of finding more of his 
his comfort zone in this offense because I don't know if, like you said, anyone could have predicted that he would be playing as well as he is. And obviously with the absence of Mark Ingram going into this year, people look to Latavius Murray to be exactly what he is being now. Um, so is that success all offensive line? Is it him being more comfortable under a Sean Payton offense? What do you, what do you think it is? Well, he's been a starting running back in this league, uh, right. both in Oakland and in Minnesota. So it's not like he hasn't started and been the feature back. He has been that guy at times. Um, you know, certainly when you're backing up Alvin Kamara, you're, you're talking about one of the elite talents in all of football at any position. And so now you have a role. But, you know, that role changed. And he welcomed the role. But the offense is a really good fit for him. They love – I mean, Sean Payton started this years ago, but they love to – establish a power run game and win the line of scrimmage. They know how important that is. Um, and so I thought that was really key, especially uh, with trying to, you know, develop, you know, and, and can maintain an offense with Teddy Bridgewater quarterback. Uh, and so I think it's the fact that he's probably, I, I know it. I mean, he's playing behind the best offense line he's ever played behind. And so that's been a big addition to it. And that includes, the wide receivers and the tight ends and how they block and how they all fit. Because you can't talk about one group, just the offensive line. I mean, I, Michael Thomas blocks mm-hmm. and Josh Hill blocks. You know, I mean, they're they all contributing uh, down the field. Josh Hill had one of the best blocks over the middle in last week's game uh, where he just, you know, leveled the player that was, you know, trying to cover Michael Thomas. So uh, everybody participates in the run game. Nobody is immune from helping out. Brian, I, along with many of the Saints players, I believe, have become a real fan of the breakdowns. Um, now, now, where does that originate, considering you're a guy who I read had a flip phone about three years ago? And, and honest confession, my brother you know, just lost his flip phone about two weeks ago, so don't feel bad. But, but where did that originate, and, and have you seen uh, from NFL players how much they enjoy seeing those breakdowns? Well, I, I announce games every weekend uh, for national radio. So I'm on the field. Uh, I was in Atlanta last week and Kansas City, and I'll be in Kansas City this week for Minnesota. So, I mean, I see these players every Sunday, and I know how much they enjoy it and how much they watch. I did a film session last year with Cam Jordan, and, you know, he watches, and Michael Thomas follows everything. In fact, if I post a video right now of Michael Thomas, it's pretty much going to be retweeted within five minutes. I don't, I don't know if he has a phone in his hand all the time, but <laughs> yes. sometimes it seems yes. like it. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I just thought uh, as, an, as an analyst uh, at Fox for a long time and now national radio and doing college games, I, you, you are so limited by what you can actually talk about, sort of television broadcast. And then if you just look at all of the sort of analysis-type shows, they, there's just not really much time to really get into any kind of depth. But on Twitter, uh, it's a great format, or Instagram, it's a great format to really get into the nuances of games, the techniques and the fundamentals of the game. And the guys that just play the game the right way, uh, you know, like, like a Marshawn Lattimore. Um, you know, I never met Marshawn Lattimore until his rookie year, and they were playing up at Buffalo. And, you know, the Saints PR staff said, you know, you got to meet the guys, you know, you love Marshawn Lattimore, he loves you. And I, I met him. So, it's really a way to connect with a lot of young players. I didn't get a chance to really meet in college or high school, but you feel like you get to know them, you know, by posting these videos and especially when it's, you know, good technique, good fundamentals. I mean, Marshawn is just so sound in everything he does. Uh, so is Cam Jordan. And I love 
you know, the development of Marcus Davenport. So I just feel like these players like when somebody really um, points out, you know, good skills and the little things, the nuances that it's just really difficult. And it's not a knock at anybody or any shows, but it's just very difficult to really get deep into the game um, on any of these formats. I work at the NFL Network. I know how difficult it is to do an X and O type show. And we try and we do what we can, but time just doesn't permit to really go deep into the, the analysis of the game. And I, I just found this format on Twitter just perfect for me. And, and I love doing it, and I love narrating it. I don't know what I'm going to say until I say it. Um, it's not premeditated. But when I see good football being played out there, I just feel like the players and the fans and other analysts and coaches, uh, you know, they, they should have a chance to look at this. Now, we know the euphoria side of it, the guy who's making the play, but do you get any, any blowback from the other side where a guy says, hey, man, you didn't, have to, you, didn't have to put that, you didn't have to put that out there on me? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was very critical of the Atlanta Falcons for a couple of weeks in a row. And I put it out there because it bothered me because I knew they were a better football team than that. And, you know, I saw the general manager, Thomas Dimitrov, on the field Sunday. And, uh, you know, he – he doesn't watch all the videos, but they, he, he was brought to his attention. And we had, you know, it wasn't like he was, you know, how dare you do this? Or I mean, he didn't say that he was doing anything wrong. They're looking at the same film I'm looking at. I don't get a lot of blowback. I'll get players sometimes if, I'm, if I sound critical that will tell me that this is what they're taught or, you know, this is, this is what you don't know. And, and I'm looking to be educated and enlightened, you know, when I make a mistake, and I'll correct it. But by and large, um, if a team is playing poorly or poorly coached, you know, I mean, I was critical of Chicago Bears two weeks ago when they ran the ball seven times and dropped back 56 times. And, you know, next thing I know, Matt Nagy is running eye formation on the first play of the game for 10 yards, like I suggested. And, you know, they're, they're running back, ran for 135 yards. I'm not saying that Matt Nagy is listening to me, but I'm not wrong. <laughs> In the analysis and being critical of the Bears, they had to run the ball better. But the only way they're going to run it better is if they commit to it. And they committed to it last week, and it was the best they ran it all year. You know, do you sense that there is a respect factor for what you do, not, not just because you're knowledgeable from that standpoint, but because you also have you know, 147 NFL games and I think 43 starts in an NFL career where you know, a lot of these guys kind of know you played and, and, and have, a, have a good sense that you understand what you're talking about? Well, I mean, I've been, as a player or an analyst, I've been in this business since 1982. Um, I know just about everybody in every building. I mean, I'd make it a point to, if I don't know um, people in certain cities, I go to their training camps and get to know them. Um, I go to a lot of practices during the year, and I go to a lot of OTAs in the offseason and get to know people. So I, I get as much face-to-face time as I can. There's a respect factor. I got, you know, I got owners and general managers following me. And I hear back from them, ex-coaches. Um, I'll see Steve Spagnuolo you know, on the field in Kansas City on Sunday, and I've been critical of the run defense. And I'll talk to Steve about it. Um, they, as long, I found as long as players, coaches, owners, and general managers know that you are really studying their team hard, you might be wrong about a take, but if they know that you're putting the work in, they will kind of put up with, you know, whatever your take is, to be honest with you. Absolutely, and we definitely respect it uh, here at the New Orleans Saints. Well, Brian, we'll let you go, but we appreciate your time and uh, look forward to many more Baldy breakdowns in the future. I look forward to doing many more in the future, especially in January and February. Absolutely.
We appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Okay, Christine. Thank you. See you, John. Bye. All right. Chloe, Catherine, whoever I am, Carolyn, whatever. Uh, you know, it was great having Brian Baldinger, of course, on the podcast. He can call me whatever he wants to call me. I don't care. Uh, today's podcast was presented by SeatGeek. If you're trying to find tickets to football games or any other live event, it can be complicated. There's hundreds of sites and shady pricing. But with SeatGeek, you can do everything in one place. Search for and discover the best deals on seats, buy from any device, and sell and transfer tickets in just a couple taps. With their deal score technology they rank they rank the most valuable seats based on price location historical data and more plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence best of all our listeners will get twenty dollars off their first purchase when they use the SeatGeek app use code go saints at checkout SeatGeek score the best deals on tickets all right quick reminder that we will not have a show friday or monday of this week because of the bye week so the next time we will tune in to you will be next Wednesday, November 6th. So be sure to tune in to that as we prep for the Atlanta Falcons. All right, if you want to follow Brian Baldinger on Twitter, he can be found at Baldy NFL. That's Baldy, B-A-L-D-Y, NFL. Make sure you follow him. His Baldy breakdowns are certainly something to look for. For John DeShazer, Caroline Gonzalez, thanks for tuning in to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. We'll see you next Wednesday.